From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast. All right, so like... What have we been up to? What do you guys? <laughs> what have you guys been drinking? Like how how are we feeling? You know, like we're moving into December. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cold as shit here. I'm not really <laughs> feeling it. But besides that, uh, yeah, Joanna, what have you been drinking? Um, so recently, I celebrated my sister in law's birthday. Nice, and we went to Temple Bar. <laughs> oh, where she now you're a regular, kind of. Um, <laughs> no, it was such a scene. It is such a scene it's now. A scene, yeah. There were like multiple celebrities there that night. Really? Mm-hmm. Who? Do tell. Um, Sienna Miller. Okay. Allegedly, uh, Emily Blunt, but I did not hmm. see her. Mm. And Heather Graham. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So. Quite the little trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it was. Were uh, they there together or separately? I think separately. Oh, I that's don't know. Even better. Who's to say? Their publicists um, should talk to each other. <laughs> so I had I had their version of an espresso martini. And how was it? <laughs> it was really good. It's called sick sick as sick as the espresso martini. Sick is the espresso is martini. the name of this drink because it's sick. <laughs> sick of the espresso martini. Anyway, oh, funny. Um, it uses cold brew and is flavored with vanilla and banana. And mm. I love I love banana drinks. Yeah, this is the thing. This is your thing. I've realized this, this about myself thing. that Do you like I banana love banana ice cream. Sure. Oh, you mean like no? You mean no. like the one ingredient banana ice cream? No, no, no. no like banana no. flavored ice cream. No, yeah, banana flavored. Yeah, ice one cream. one ingredient banana ice cream is not ice cream. It's frozen banana. Yeah. Get a clue. <laughs> <laughs> He's right, folks. Wow. Man, Sick is, of that Adam shit on social. <laughs> Here's how you can have ice cream, but not. It's pureed frozen banana. Uh, that's not ice cream. Get that shit away from me. Yeah, I, can, I bet vegan ice cream does not go over well with you. No. Yeah, Gosh. me neither, to be fair. I'm, I'm, I'm very much with you on this one. Adam's a dairy man. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, 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 I take a stand at coffee. <laughs> He's a dairy when we, man. When we, get to, when we go to coffee and they're like, what, what kind of milk would you like? I'm like, whole? like, good for you? I'm like, that's damn right good for me. <laughs> they're like, whole? Are you this, sure? Come on, almond milk? We already know what almonds are doing to California, guys. <laughs> like, they have no water. <laughs> I don't like it when they're like, what kind of milk do you want? I'm like, I'd like milk. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, that comes out of a cow? Yeah, exactly. Like, With an I or a Y? Is, <laughs> This stuff is just an almond infusion. Yeah. Mm. And the oat milk. I mean, come on. It just tastes like day old cereal milk. <laughs> we don't need oat. Do you like oat milk? Yes. <sighs> All right. Anyways. But so you had a nice espresso martini cocktail. Anything else? Um, I, yeah, we, we had a, f- a few different drinks. I had another Gibson, which is very good. Mm. I like to make a Gibson at home. Do you make a Gibson at home? No, no, no. I'd like to. Oh, you'd like to? Mm-hmm. Will you, will you pickle your own onions? I, I just might. Yes. Uh, have a nice, uh, you know, recipe from Cocktail College. Oh, God, can we mm-hmm. stop talking about that podcast? <laughs> Never. I know. It's the only thing that gets mentioned more than Temple Bar. <laughs> the only thing, yeah. Seriously. Give me a break. <laughs> what about you, Zach? What have you been drinking? <laughs> Moving on. Uh, well, one of the things I did over the weekend was make uh, one of my favorite dishes, or my wife and I make it together. So we make a lot of pizza at home. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a pizza oven? Not like a separate pizza oven. No, no. What do you have then? What do you do? Do you have like a a baking steel? (laughs) Yes. Yes. We call it a cast iron, cast iron, uh, you know, basically a platter. But yeah, it's basically a baking steel. Okay, cool. Continue. Then I'll allow you to discuss pizza. (laughs) 
Thank you. But if you don't have yeah, any set, like the people who are like, I make pizza at home and it's like on a sheet pan. I'm like, no, you don't make pizza at home. No, 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 no. You need the crisp. You need yeah, something that on. gets very hot so that you can get the texture on the bottom right. Exactly. Um, so we make? actually had a pizza stone for a while and it bit the dust. And frankly, the, the cast iron is way better. Way better. Um, in part because it's not fragile. And so, but what we did this last time was instead of making kind of the way we normally make pizza, which is, you know, a little more kind of conventional, I don't know what you would, not exactly Neapolitan, we don't go quite that thin crust, but, mm. uh, you know, somewhere between that and a New York style pizza or whatever with tomato sauce and all that, we made um, something we make occasionally, which is a tart flambe or flamacuccia, which Yum. is like a German slash Alsatian, Alsatian yeah. Um, dish that is where instead of using like a tomato sauce base you use kind of a base of <laughs> adam and my favorite ingredient dairy Jeez. and uh, what you do is you slice uh onions very thin and you basically like marinate it in a sort of mixture of creme fraiche sour cream and ricotta and then for a couple of days and it really like the acid in the dairy helps break down the onions and then you put that on top and then you usually add like you know bacon piece you know bacon bits basically or lardon and um I like to do like a little thinly sliced uh, like Yukon gold potato over the top oh, wow. um, or some other things. And just um, we did one with some brie as well. And you just bake them um, in a, as hot as your oven can get for like nine minutes or so. And um, along with that, uh, a lot of Alsatian wine and mm. actually a variety that um, my cousin came over and, and joined us for dinner. And he brought over a bottle of uh, Albert Boxler Muscat, which is Did you one mandate of these, that like, the, the wine be Alsatian? <laughs> well, I told him what we were making and he's a wine professional also. So he oh, was like, oh, okay. Alsatian wine. Oh, and more than we had one wine of... professional in the family. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, there's, it's, a, it's a family business of some sort <laughs> um, in a way. And uh, we had uh, – so we, we opened a bottle of Pinot Gris from Alsace mm. that we had and then he brought that bottle of Muscat. And I got to say the Muscat really surprised me. It's a variety – I mean it's a whole kind of class of varieties that can produce very floral wines and sometimes can be kind of annoyingly or cloyingly floral and often made sweet. But there's a growing trend in Alsace in general towards – drier styles of Muscat and Gewürztraminer and Pinot Gris. And this was quite dry um, and very aromatic, but not cloyingly so and went really beautifully with the, with the Flamacucha and was just a lot of fun. So mm. um, I, I love Alsace as a place. I, I had the opportunity to visit a few years ago. and It was one of the more mm. uh, spectacular wine regions I've been to. I love the wines and it was a really fun kind of opportunity to, you know, do that little thing where you travel without going anywhere. So cool. Mm. How about you, Adam? So, uh, I had a really amazing wine, actually, a Cinso recently, mm. um, from the, <laughs> the producer DiMartino from Chile. Mm. Uh, oh. and they basically age it all in amphora that they have dug up from the ground that are antique amphora. So, like, oh, they're wow. all different shapes and sizes, and they found them all around Chile, and then they, like, sort of refurbished them and they aged the wine in them. So, it's kind of cool. It's like, you know, before the egg if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, so that, that was a delicious wine. And then I had a few cocktails recently and I've been noticing this like, you know, growing trend, I feel like, which is acid correcting. Mm-hmm. So like three of the cocktails I think I had or shared with people that I went to this bar with were all acid adjusted orange juice as one of the key ingredients. I just think it's interesting because I know that that wasn't, it was like sort of on the fringes in terms of like what was happening in cocktail culture. And now it feels like so many bartenders are like acid adjusting mm-hmm. their 
acid components of their well, drinks. It's what, really interesting. What does that mean when a bartender does that? So they can either be upping it or lowering it. Okay. Um, but they are adjusting the acid. They're like adding citric acid mm-hmm. or something. Okay. So it's really <laughs> interesting. Uh, and then I had a milk punch. Which was delicious, mm-hmm. and, and that's about it. That's about it. You know, very cool. Did you? Where did you go? Anywhere you want to shout out? Uh, the horse in. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, okay. Just a dope ass place. You know. Yeah. you know, next wave bar of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yep. cool. Famed, um, famed fair bar of Lancaster, PA. Yeah, found myself there. Said, well, why not? No, I also had to bring them their award. <laughs> it got left in New York at the party, so I had to take it to them. It was a party, as, as covered previously on the podcast. It was a fun party. Um, cool. So a uh, little bit more serious podcast uh, post-Thanksgiving. Um, I mean, we already had like our – I mean, for those of you that really found a lot of value in the Black Friday episode, you're welcome. Um, I hope you got your blundstones, Adam. Oh, I did. <laughs> um, I did. But uh, – I more. I hope you got our bottles of Faccia Bruto. That's what I care about. Mm-hmm. For you guys, yeah. yeah. You promised we're, on the podcast. It's, we're it's, tasting it's them on the internet now. I promise I get you Faccia Bruto. <laughs> you guys, I was high on Black Friday. I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> I actually okay, did. I got cool. one for Joanna, just not for Zach. Mm-hmm. Uh, fair <laughs> I can't. I can't ship it, man. I can't ship it. Yeah, that's true. That's a challenge. <laughs> but uh, so in a more serious note, obviously, in the last few weeks, news has broken. Um, I mean, this has been an ongoing now issue for the last basically like nine months to a year. Uh, the the ongoing sexual uh, harassment assault scandals that have been plaguing the quartermaster sommeliers. And it was reported uh, that the six people who were accused um, have been stripped of their titles um, so six individuals who have been, you know, accused of sexual harassment after an investigation uh, have all been stripped of their titles. They have been, uh, they are allowed to appeal, though it doesn't seem like anyone is going to appeal, or at least mm-hmm. not that we that we know of uh, right now uh, that, that they're going to appeal. But uh, you know, it all. It, it, I don't know about what you guys it just felt like. This sort of announcement was kind of like, like just a thud, like. Yeah. Like, really, that's it? You're stripping them of their titles? Like, mm-hmm. in nine months, like, that's what you did? Like, you know, and... And this is just six cases of 22. Yeah. Right. And it's like, yes. there's so many... It's just, I, I don't get it. And then, also, you know, I was doing a little bit of research on the six individuals who have been stripped of their titles. And, like, okay, so they've lost their titles, so they can no longer call themselves a master psalm. But... They all seem to be doing pretty fine still. Right. Like, you know, one of them still owns their restaurant in Napa. Mm-hmm. The other one, it seems like, you know, the, the biggest offender, it sounds like, is still working for Dow Vineyards, at least according to LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, like, I just, it's really interesting to me that, okay, so their titles were stripped, but it doesn't seem like there's been any other Yeah, how much is of, how much is this hindering their careers, really? Yeah. And, you know, I think in a lot of sort of respects, that's because in the casual, I, I don't want to name any names here because it's not what we do um you can look it up online in the article that we published on vine pair but i'm but in terms of people who who know them right there's been a lot of people who defended them Mm -hmm. in the wine community who sort of said oh well i know that person they're a good person they just got wrapped up in this or you know they were having a hard time you know in their relationship with their significant other so they decided to cheat or whatever it was there's there's been a lot of that Mm -hmm. and so i feel like it's like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. People are bad, but not my person that I know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because so many of these, so many of these six are not all in the same community, mm-hmm. right? They're in the wine community, but then they actually exist in like 
you know, in this wine community in California or that wine community, et cetera, Mm -hmm. they actually sort of have been insulated by the people who know them really well and who are like, well, they've been really great to hang out with and they've been a mentor to me and things like that. And, you know, I think it just shows how hard it is to stop this kind of behavior and actually eradicate it because you never want to believe even when someone's accused it's the person you know right and this this goes back now to if you look at this across the board with sexual harassment like all the comedians that have defended louis ck for example Mm -hmm. right like oh he's a good dude like you know i loved him you know i mean even sarah silverman came out in defense of louis ck you know and it's like i get it he might have been a great mentor to you as a comedian but like what he did is really bad and really wrong. And, you know, you have to sort of start separating that personal relationship you have with him, what you think he's done for you with like actually what he truly did to people. Um, And I just feel like this is kind of the same here. It's like, okay, cool. Strip them of their titles. But like, there's, there seems to be no economic retribution. There seems to be no one pulling back and, you know, asking them to step aside, just totally professionally in the world like i so i i don't really understand how this will completely impact them right Mm -hmm. like just having the like losing the ms title really matter that much in their long-term career i don't know but that's my thoughts yeah what's actually really surprising to me about this is that you know we've seen over the past year or two or five um that this has happened in different industries of course um but it seems like the immediate repercussions are that whatever the accused or the perpetrators or whatever are, are, you know, without a career or they have to like step away or they don't have jobs for at least a little while, you know, maybe they come back. Louis CK is back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's what's kind of surprising to me is that like, it doesn't, yeah. Like you said, it doesn't really seem to have affected them even in the immediate term um, that they are without jobs or anything or that they're shunned or, or that people in the wine community, I'm sure obviously lots of people, don't think highly of them anymore, um, but that there are still people who are defending them and their careers. And then does that mean that basically just the title of Master Psalm is just fucking bullshit? Like it doesn't matter? Cause kind if, of, yeah. You know what I mean? Because if if just losing the title has not lost them everything else, then maybe the title didn't matter for shit in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly something that you and I, Adam, have talked about on this podcast <laughs> a few times. And, and I mean that for a variety of reasons. Yeah. I think there's there's always been the conversation about to what extent does the title really truly indicate something meaningful about the person who holds it, even setting aside all this yeah. horrible behavior, just, just in terms of what they know about wine and that, and their ability to, to, you know, serve wine, communicate about wine. You know, it is certainly not a precondition for being very, very good at that to, to hold that title or any title from any accrediting organization. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I think, you, you know, you guys both got at something very important here that I think is, is relevant, which is that, one of the things that is difficult about this kind of situation is that in the end, the court of master sommeliers does not actually have all that much power. Right. Um, you know, they, they, I think we can get into, and I have lots to say about the way this was handled. And, and again, it's also important to note, this is the most, you know, kind of horrific of the scandals that have kind of embroiled the, the court, but it's been a lot of them over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And and there are a lot of things about the court that I think just, as we have, again, gone into detail on past episodes about, just do not work for a lot of would-be professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, the way things are handled, the way things are administered, the the structure of it, all that. But in some sense, it, it, it does show the toothlessness of the court in some way that, you know, they don't have any kind of a greater ability to 
to punish other than to sort of say, hey, you can't be part of our club anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what it says about our broader society that, you know, some of these people are not necessarily being completely driven out of the industry. I mean, that's a whole nother, well, it can be part of this conversation. I don't think it's something that the court itself can do. It's frankly something that the larger community has to do. And I think one of the things that comes into this, and, and I'd be curious to know both of your thoughts is, do we as a publication, do we as individuals, you know, do we avoid talking about these people and their and in their endeavors do we whenever it comes up mention by the way that person was was expelled and disgraced from the court of master sommeliers like i think that has to, there has to be i mean i don't like this in general but there has to be kind of a scarlet letter attached to them by everyone mm-hmm. or else the stuff does really recede into the background mm-hmm. unfortunately I, mean, I think there is a way in which you know we we talked about it and obviously the the celebrities we mentioned the comedians and whatnot are much more famous than any of these people and have a much larger fan base you know master sommeliers don't have fans the way louis ck had fans so it's not just that other comedians defended them it's that you know hundreds of thousands or millions of people defended them or thought, well, that's bad, but, you know, I think they're funny or, you know, they just, you know, whatever. There's a lot of excuse making for men Mm -hmm. to do this, um, especially famous ones who people have a personal connection to. I think that that is a little less the case here um, because, again, most people don't have strong, you know, people who don't work with or around these master sommeliers or former master sommeliers don't necessarily have Mm -hmm. a personal connection to them. But, you know, like you said, Adam, you know, these people's businesses don't didn't stop existing. People presumably are still going to compline in in Napa. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not they're not like, well, you know, Matt Stamp was forced, you know, was kicked out of the organization in disgrace. We're not going to go there anymore. I mean, maybe some people have made that decision, but presumably if everyone made that decision, the business would stop existing. So I think there's that piece of it. The other thing I want to throw out there is, and we kind of mentioned it in that these are not the only six or seven, if you include Jeff Kruth, who was previously expelled back when the allegations first came out. Mm -hmm. These are far from the only people about whom formal, you know, allegations have been put forth to the court. And on top of that, in part because I think there were a lot of people who maybe were connected to this, who were frankly not sure what the court would do or if the, how they would handle it. I know there are other people who, as far as I'm aware of, have not been formally accused of anything, but whom, let's say, the rumor mill has been swirling pretty uh, aggressively about. And and the, the problem with this whole uh, resolution, I don't think anyone thinks that these six individuals should have been allowed to remain a part of the court. I don't think anyone thinks that that was a mistake. I think there are some people who think that what else was done with the other people who were accused, you know, not naming them, sort of telling them, well, just kind of shape up, you know, take a undergo training. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And for those people, for the people who, who have sort of skated to this point, many of whom have been accused of doing essentially the exact same thing that the people who were kicked out did, you know, it does really, again, kind of raise this question that has been raised about the court of master sommeliers over and over again, which is like, who does it exist for? Who does it exist to protect? And what? Why does? Why should anyone who isn't in that inner circle believe that the powers that be will listen to them, will will right. protect them, mm-hmm. as opposed to the powerful members already within the circle? Well, I want to. I mean, so many things in there, Zach, yeah. that I want to address. Um, just to what you just said, though, I think I was rereading some of the articles that were written last year when this yeah. all transpired, and you know, this idea that the board was aware of like these patterns mm-hmm. of of sexual misconduct and coercive sexual contact between masters and candidates um and that the rules about like reporting that stuff uh, were largely disregarded um and there were ignored reports of abuse like i think that's 
I think that's really disgraceful and and horrible. And yeah, I mean, what kind of uh, confidence does that inspire in the court members to feel safe or comfortable or trusted to come forward with this kind of information? You know, I've been thinking about something too, like as as we've been talking about like what it means to have actual consequences. Mm-hmm. And I feel like like the one thing that we said at the very beginning of this conversation was no one has appealed. Right. Right. And I think the reason no one has be appealed, if they do believe that they are innocent in this, like right. if it was just something they think was taken the wrong way, they mm-hmm. didn't mean it that way or it was an affair, but it wasn't whatever. Mm-hmm. If there were consequences, maybe there would be an appeal. But because there's no consequences, there's no need. Right. Right? Like if if no one thinks that, oh, I'm going to get removed from my position at this winery or at this distributor or whatever, mm-hmm. then like, it, again, it just kind of shows how toothless this all is. And it shows why people who had the courage to come forward are so upset because mm-hmm. like – in other cases like this across mm-hmm. the country, when there have been a few, you have one of two situations, right? The person knows they were a motherfucker and they slink away and never return like Mario Batali. Mm-hmm. Yep. See a fucker. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, Matt I mean, Lauer. I think like he's huge, tried to slink back a few times. But, but, but it's not going to happen. But like right? huge consequences for Batali, right? Like Huge. Yeah. No more restaurants, like out of that, his restaurant lost group. Lost it all. Like, yes. Lost it all. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt Lauer, same thing. Like, lost it all. No more public spotlight. You, you be the news network that's going to rehire him Mm -hmm. it's never gonna happen maybe he'll be like on local hampton news doing the weather but like (laughs) besides you know like besides that he's done Mm -hmm. you know he might like write a book right you know um or have i don't know some weird fringe you know podcast like joe rogan does so anyways like i think you know Mm -hmm. there will be something potentially but he's basically gone in this in this regard like most of these people are still okay so like they're not speaking up to defend themselves because mm-hmm. they're okay and they're not speaking up. So I, it, it, and that's what makes it so weird too, is it's like, well, if you're not saying anything too, like I'm going to assume you, you real guilty. Yeah. yeah. But what I want to, what I want to mention, and this is going back to a point that Zach made or ah, a question that he asked rather, that's why I think it is our responsibility as a publication yeah. to make it known what, what these men are accused of or what they're being, you know, uh, expelled for. Because I think about, I think about like my parents. Right. Would they know any of these people by their names? No, absolutely not. So maybe they would go to one of their, a restaurant or like have their wines or whatever it is or not know that they're affiliated with a winery. Um, but then I think about like a Batali and they like, all knew him. Yeah. Right. Like names, he, his name is big enough, but like it was covered so heavily as well by like food media, but also more than, you know, mm-hmm. media across lifestyle and like the actual news. Um, so I think it is our responsibility as a publisher to have a stand on these things and to, to share the news with our readers um, and then also not cover these men mm-hmm. ever again. Yeah. No, that we can In a positive way. We can I suppose. Yeah. And I think that in addition to that, there's also this other piece, you know, you you mentioned this, and I think it's a good point, Joanna, that there's a pretty big gulf in terms of the fame of the, these six, seven men, mm-hmm. you know, even if some of them appear, you know, you know, Fred Dame appeared in the Saw movies, right. you know, for a sommelier is quite famous, but still, that's a niche audience, as we've talked about before. I think that the the piece of this that is important, though, and, and why I think some of this is different is that Batali 
facing real consequences for his actions. Mm-hmm. Lauer, it's, I don't want to talk about. Let's let's keep it in sort of food and drink, just because I think this analogy will hold better. But but part of what was necessary about that was the sort of was put was getting the sort of message out broadly, like this shit is unacceptable. And Batali obviously wasn't the only chef mm-hmm. restaurateur. Um, you know, um, John Besh, I think, mm-hmm. and there's some other famous, not quite, no one as famous as Batali, but some well-known chefs around the country. Um, and I don't know, you know, undoubtedly that kind of shit is still going on all mm-hmm. over the country, yeah. obviously. I think that w- why this had to happen and needed to happen in addition to just like, fuck those guys is like the court needed to be proactive about saying this is not allowed. And that I think is where the frustration comes because I think there's at best a mixed message here. Again, sort of sheltering the other 16 who were accused. Maybe you weren't willing to expel any of them. Maybe what they were accused of doing was seemed less severe. Maybe there was fewer people willing to go on the record and say, like, this is what happened. But, you know, there's remains within the court of master sommeliers, this very dangerous power imbalance and hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And it, creates these kinds of situations i mean you know to come back to something you said at the beginning adam about oh you know people defending some of these men and saying well you know they were going through a tough time in their marriage and you know oh it was really just an affair and like they they weren't taking advantage but the whole point of these power structures is that there was such a power imbalance and so many advantages that like these men they didn't have to you know drunkenly force force themselves upon a woman for them to abuse their power. Like it's not, I mean, I think that is a problem that we face societally when dealing with these allegations is we, we only kind of, some people only really consider this to be a problem when it's like grotesque, right? right? When it's violent, when it's uh, persistent, when it's, you know, the kind of thing that, that is for lack of a better word, sort of dramatic. And it can be insidious and hard to, Mm hard to define and i think that if you were to look into some of these cases and other ones that i mean quite honestly i know about and i can't speak about because they don't don't involve me directly and it's you know they've been said to me in confidence but i know are out there there's a lot of shit that's like insinuation it's relying on the fact that the people who aspire to reach the inner circle the master sommelier level especially women know what some of the men who hold that title and are the gatekeepers might want from them. And it's never, you know, it may never be spoken, but that doesn't make it right. Mm -hmm. Like it's no better to take advantage of someone's lack of power in a, in a interpersonal dynamic because you don't force yourself upon them drunkenly at Mm 2am. Like that's obviously really bad, but the other stuff isn't okay. And I think that where the frustration and and on my part, and I think a lot of other people part with the court is that the court has kind of said, well, this grotesque stuff we can't allow because it's, you know, obvious, but we're not really doing anything to, as far as I can tell, to really eliminate the other stuff. Right. This other stuff is less bad. Right. Less bad. So we'll maybe just suspend you, but we won't expel you. Right. Which is crazy. We won't even tell anyone that you're suspended. Like it's not, it's not, there's no, there's no even like, hey, we couldn't kick this person out because we didn't have enough evidence or whatever, but like we think there's something going on here. Like they obviously think there's something going on. These people, the other 16 were many of them were, you know, apparently, as we said, required to take 
trainings or whatever. So it wasn't like eh, there's zero problem here. There's obviously a problem, but we but you're not. But you're you're saying this is a problem that we can live with. Well, do you think that sure that speaks to like okay. how actually little? I want to say influence or power or whatever, but like the court actually has, it's like, oh shit, we can't lose another 16 of these fuckers. Like, you know, we, we got to keep them in the fold. Like, Do gotta, you think that's a consideration? I wonder. Really? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I think it's more just about the very way that the, the, the structure is, is designed. It's oriented around protecting. I mean, mm-hmm. this is going to be a, maybe a vaguely controversial thing. I apologize. But like, you know, it, you get, it gets said a lot these days in work circles that like, you got to remember, right? Like in, in a work environment, you know, human resources is like sometimes just there to protect the company. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I think this investigation is to protect the court of master sommelier's reputation. Mm-hmm. It's not really and, – and to protect the master sommelier's male and female who are not a part of this, you know, who who, may, who are not necessarily accused of anything. Well, but that's what I'm saying. If they lost 16 more people – it would completely ruin the reputation. Like it'd be over. I don't I mean, know about you lose- that. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. There are several hundred of them, and I think if you were to say we are taking a very forceful stand here, we are getting rid of anyone who is credibly accused. I don't know. I think you might actually engender more support. I mean, because the, the thing for the court is like, you know, their model has been, you know, they want more and more. They want people pushing to reach that level, right? That's what supports the classes, the tests, the the mm-hmm. the employment of a number of master sommeliers is as their job is to be, you know, a part, you know, to work for the court. And if you if if you protect the existing members at the expense of potential members, I'm not sure that's a good long-term plan. But I haven't looked, right? Like since this all came out, I've not looked. I mean, we've had COVID, obviously, mm-hmm. but I've not looked to see if people who are choosing to pursue the court or take the test has gone down. And I, and so then you might to say, yeah. right? And so then you might because say, I don't well, make that information public, right? So then you I might hear. say, okay, well, status quo, because who knows what does happen if we expel twenty-two members, mm-hmm. right? So expelling six, okay, but you seven. Remember they, there were already some very high-profile resignations, not you know, in protest. Right, but those people were in protest. Yeah. This is. Expel- yeah. This is expulsion. Yeah, but it's also totally to different. Zach's point, if I'm somebody who's interested in joining the court, uh, but I know that there are 16, you know. Predators. Predators. Sorry. And maybe yeah. they're not named. Like, why would I ever want to join? I agree. Exactly. But that's why, I'm, that's why I'm trying to get as what, then what's the fear? Yeah. Like, why would you not then? Mm-hmm. Because they, they have to be scared of something. I think they, well, A, you know, maybe there's a threat of from some of these these other 16 who are maybe again maybe the evidence is a little less clear cut i mean you're you're mm-hmm. you could face a lawsuit obviously there's big financial ramifications for even if we don't see it with the six who are just expelled it's you know, definitely be possible lawsuits. that some of these yeah like there's yeah. there's lawsuits there's liability and again like i said the system exists to protect the people already within it like mm-hmm. it, that's true that, go, that goes back to the, the cheating scandal right like why did they do what they did because they wanted to protect the reputation of the court and of the existing master sommeliers at the expense of a bunch of people who did nothing wrong um, who were all had all had the test invalidated because they happened to be in taking the test at the same time as a, someone as a master, a former master sommelier who wanted to give his buddies an advantage. And like the decision of the court in that moment told you everything you need to know, right? Like they did not want to dig into what had happened. They did not want to know what was under those rocks because it was ugly and it was easier to say, we're just going to invalidate this entire exam. We'll give everyone another chance. That's such a great solution. And please don't ask any more questions. Bye. Mm-hmm. 
And like, that's just been their MO for years. And, you know, as someone who participated in exams through the court, and in fact, we had my certified exam proctored by one of the men who's since been expelled, like, my feelings about the court have changed a lot over the last, you know, half decade or something like that. And it is, I think it's just, I think there's a bigger conversation to be had that we're not going to have now about whether there's any point to it at this, at this moment. I don't really know that there is, but certainly no one can believe that it exists to do anything other than protect itself. Like that's mm-hmm. its function these days. I mean, the only way that you could make the, the case is by following the money. And we, again, can't have that conversation mm-hmm. right now. I mean, that's a, that's, you know, story we may be working on, but like, it's again, like if, you know, if, if salaries are still higher with this than without it, right. if job opportunities are still better with this certification than without it, then unfortunately it's still, it will still continue to exist. If, oh, for sure. you know, I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what it all is, right? It's all about money. Mm-hmm. So and power, yeah. And power. And so if both, right, if you get a more powerful position because of the certification, if you get more pay because of the certification, then yeah, I can see people continuing to pursue it of, of, you know, all sexes of all Mm -hmm. backgrounds, because that's the way in. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it it would have been, it would be nice if, if the court had taken more of a dramatic and really strong step here, you know, just the stripping of titles is, but I mean, you know, I think that's why, as Joanna was saying, we have to continue to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And when we do write about these individuals, you know, say what it say what it is about them, yeah. Uh, and same for the other sixteen. You know, like when they're when they're mentioned, say you know those who had been accused of X, Y, or Z. When that when that information is public, mm-hmm. you know, if it's not public, as as you said, there's very little we can do. Right. Yeah. Wow. Well, all right. Well, guys, <laughs> very oh. interesting conversation uh, to lead us into December. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will see you both back here on Friday. Friday. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, Vine Pair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the Vine Pair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.